Hi guys and welcome back to another episode of the Ashes Central Podcast. We're recapping today all the action from the second day from the Sydney Cricket Ground at Stubbs, England. None for 13 of five overs in response to Australia's eight declared for 416. Uh, we got in nearly a full day's play today, uh, a few minor ra- delays earlier um, in the day, but we certainly have a test match on our hands entering the final three days. Uh, Vashit Pisnich and Tedwin Jarvis with you. I mentioned England none for 13 uh, off the five overs in about 20 minutes they faced before stumps. Could easily have been one um, down. Zach Crawley nicking off uh, for zero off Stark, where um, received a reprieve <coughs> thanks to a front foot no ball, something we've seen England suffer a couple of times previously in this series, but uh, the first time, at least in my memory, I can remember it coming back to bite the Australians, at least as far as a wicket was concerned. We'll get onto all of that later, but we have to start with the feel-good moment of the day, perhaps the series. Usman Kawaja, Pearson's rolling his eyes here, but no, I don't think you can argue with that. Usman Kawaja on uh, recall to the test team for the first time since the Ashes series of 2019. Um comes out and in his first innings, 137 of 260 deliveries, his ninth test ton, his first in 1,068 days. Um, you know, given another chance when it seemed like he may not get one after they picked head in the first test, COVID allows him to break into the team. Uh, and Teddy, he sure did make the most of this opportunity. Most definitely. Um, I think just from a spectator standpoint, that was probably the best innings to watch out of any of this series, I would say. Um, he, you know, Kawaja's always been beautiful on the front foot. We know, you know, that languid style that he has, but uh, it was the back foot that um, he got most of his runs on today. Uh, some beautiful pull shots, cut shots, um, and just looked incredibly composed out there, which is remarkable really for, as you say, not having played um, any cricket, you know, uh, since the start of the Ashes, being in the squad the whole time. And uh, yeah, back in the team, first century, since 2019 so yeah it, it was great to watch and uh really kind of gave some excitement to you know an otherwise sort of you know less interesting less less fiery day yeah he's the most popular man in sydney uh you'd have to say throughout his uh, throughout his innings obviously originally a new south welshman um pat cummins who was at the other end uh when he uh, when usman kwaj brought up the ton last over four teeth perhaps the least popular man in Sydney for a brief period there, uh, farming the strike at the end of the second last over, uh, hitting a couple of boundaries in a single off David, David Milan's last delivery before blocking out a few uh, uh, pretty uh, ordinary Joe deliveries from Jack Leach uh, before eventually delivering the Stark. And Kawaja only needed that uh, first ball we faced, tucking behind square uh, and bringing up, as I mentioned, that ninth test ton. Uh, now, Pearson Lynch, on our preview show for this test a few days back, yourself and Ethan Prabs, who is not here, clearly looking to run away from this take that he made in the preview um, episode. What did we that say? I asked you to, uh, as a hypothetical, <laughs> if Kawaja comes in, tons up, Paris, you know, doesn't really make any meaningful scores in either innings. Is it possible we could see Kawaja not looking long-term ahead to the edge? I'm looking to the fifth test in Hobart. Can we see him reaging the order and getting that position? You said, no way, 100% not happening. They'll stick with head. Doesn't matter if Kawaja makes a triple century. Um, that's obviously paraphrase. That's not exactly what you said. You wouldn't talk like that. No, but yeah, now, the gist is right. two days into the test, um, you know, uh, you feel, how you feel about that take? Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd still stand by that, I think. I admit he played very well today. I thought he 
did exactly what he could do. I thought he looked confident. As Ted said, I thought his back foot game has really taken a step forward. Some of the pull shots he played, particularly against the pace bowlers, was actually very impressive. But I have listened now for about, what's that, four and a half hours of everyone, friends, family, commentators, they're all waxing lyrical about this Usman Khawaja knock. What I would say to put it into some context is he's come in in a situation where he has no pressure on him, knowing that he's going to drop out of the team pretty much regardless in the next test. He knows he's at a ground that he knows well. He knows the series is already over. He's come in today in a reasonable position with arguably the best batsman since Bradman at the other end. And we've not bowled particularly well, and he's cashed in against a very, very average Jack Leach. So I do think there's limitations to how much you can say it was a brilliant ton. I heard, I think it was Shane Warne claimed that this was the greatest ton of his test career. And I thought that was a hefty stretch and a long way further than it should have been. But I do think, regardless of the fact he scored what was a impressive, if not as magnificent as they all said, ton, I don't see a way for him to get back in. I think he might play in the subcontinent as an opener. But for now, I think Harris is safe and I think Head will definitely come back. So, yeah, I stand by my claim. He will not play in Hobart. Yeah, you say there's a lack of pressure because there's no way he's keeping his spot. I, I still don't understand why is that the right move? You know he's going to play whenever they go to the subcontinent. Why is it like I've heard people say, oh, it would be a brave move to play Harris after this if you know you're going to drop him after the series. No, it would be a stupid move. Why? I mean, he hasn't shown, I mean, what, 176 was it in Melbourne? He doesn't score anything in the second innings. All, all of a sudden does just form mean, I, I really don't understand the thinking there. Well, what's to gain about playing Marcus Harris above Kawaja? Well, I hate to say it. For, I mean, admittedly, I'm fine with it because I don't think Harris is as accomplished for batsman. But I think Harris will get the opening couple of tests in Pakistan. I don't think we will see this easy switch to Kawaja the opener that a lot of people are expecting. Why? Warner clearly likes Harris. The selectors clearly like Harris. He looks, test by test, he's looked progressively more composed. I actually thought he looked pretty good yesterday. I think it should be noted this probably wouldn't be up for conversation if we could catch and Kawaja had gone out for 28, which would have been 10 less than Harris scored. But you can, you score runs against the players and if they can take the chances you score the runs so yes Kawaja's done well but I think they'll want to give Harris an extended run of games and I think Kawaja will know that but I think Kawaja will definitely be on the tour and if Harris or even Green because I have a slight agenda against Cam Green I have a suspicion one of them will eventually make way for Kawaja at least in the long term <laughs> but for now it'll be Harris yeah, indeed. A few points. First of all, uh, Jack Leach, you mentioned him. I'm going to give him a round of applause now. 34th <laughs> over of the of the series, rather, first maiden. So yes. always good for a, a test bowler to be able to bowl six balls without being hit for a run or, or bowling an extra. Um, and, Teddy, I thought before we would move on, your thoughts on that, certainly not the right move, but is it the move Australia will you know take going forward, playing Marcus Harris not only in, in Hobart but uh, looking ahead? Yeah, look, I think there's a, a big philosophy in the Australian team about continuity and, and keeping that opening partnership stable. Uh, so I think probably Harris, at least to start with, he'll get the go. Uh, and, you know, it's not like Kawaja hasn't had his chances also. Um, you know, he, he's been 45. Not in the opening now. position. 
no, maybe true, but you know, we are building for the future now. Kawaja is, you know, 35, it's coming to the end. And I think also from Kawaja, there's almost an acceptance that, you know, to play that role as, as, a, as a bit of a backup almost now. Um, you know, he's obviously in a good headspace with that to be able to come in today and bat like he has. Um, so I think they'll give Harris the, the chance at least starting in Pakistan. Um, even though, yeah, Kawaja does have a good record over there, that's for sure. Well, it's interesting. I, I guess I understand what people are saying when they say, well, for Harris to build confidence and be the opener of the future, he's 29, let's just put it out there. Um, you know, he, he needs to be in the, the side consistently and not bouncing in and out um, for a Joe Burns or a, it used to be Renshaw and then, you know, who you mentioned, perhaps Kawaja, but I just haven't seen any consistency. I keep, we keep saying he doesn't have a test. He's 13 tests. I Someone, I think Simon Kadich might have mentioned on the seven coverage a few days ago. That's a lot of tests and a lot of perseverance from selectors for someone who hasn't passed 100, 350s. And what's that 13 test? So, I mean, it's yeah. open. So he's, he's averaging less. He's averaging less than Hasib Hamid. That's not a record to write home about. Yeah. I, I look, wouldn't be playing him. We're winning tests and most of our batsmen are performing. So... I think, you know, we can afford to look to the future a bit more and, and to build those sorts of partnerships that it is important to build. I dispute this. I think, yes, look to the future. But I think if you're looking to the future, you can look back to last year and your long-term opener was going to be Will Pekofsky. And I still think in a year's time, assuming he's over the majority of his concussion problems and mental health issues. That's a big assumption. Yeah, that is a big assumption. But if he is fit and he's scoring runs, I think he will play. And if he's playing, then it becomes a stopgap goal, stopgap selection, regardless for the winter. And I yeah, think so in play the Kawaja, you want Kawaja. I, I fully agree. I think retirement kind yes. of, you know, he gets his, I don't know, last, I don't know how many, four or five tests it probably yeah, is. Exactly. And then a fresh start next summer, bring in um, Wilbukovsky. We don't ever want to see head again at the test level. Um, it's head, head, you mean Harris? Harris, Harris. Yeah. Just want to I think head. you like it. <laughs> I don't no, know about that. not going to be around forever, and <laughs> there's two openers, so you can still have Harris and Pekovsky for the future as well. Twenty nine is still the pretty young for, for sure. But, but 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 what what I would say is you're you're playing Test cricket here. This isn't Grade cricket. You pick the players you trust to win you the match. I don't think Harris now in the subcontinent or in a year will be one of your seven best batsmen. I think Kawaja will. Therefore, I would pick Kawaja. I understand Harris There's the longevity point. He's in a winning team. But if the end goal is Bukowski, you don't play a weaker batsman in the meantime. You play a batsman to win you test matches. You're playing in India. Marcus Harris is not someone you can rely upon to grind out runs against Ashwin Jadeja and Aksar Patel on dust bowls in Ahmedabad. I, I don't like it as a selection decision. Yeah, absolutely. The, the other player who I think there's a lot of talk about is Cam Green. We're not going to talk about the, today. Went cheaply for five. It will come up at a later stage, I promise. I, know, I don't think there's a single Green supporter actually on this podcast. Um, oh, I mean, Teddy kind oh. of somewhat, but uh, Pearson and I... Ethan is a massive green Yeah, well, he's not here. Not moment, but, uh, correct, we need two sides uh, of the argument because that's that. one of the few areas where uh, Mr Lynch and myself are quite uniform, I would say. Um, Steve Smith, 67. You keep saying the best batsman, arguably the best batsman since Bradman. He hadn't really delivered on that for much of this series. Um, 
a 67 bouncing back today. We'll start with you, Teddy. What did you make of it? Yeah, he looked very good. Um, really didn't play a false shot for most of his innings until the end. Had a clear plan of, of what balls to go for, what balls to score off. I think just, um, you know, the, the bowler getting him out, Stuart Broad, that was a quality over, um, a type of over that only Stuart Broad out of the England bowlers can bowl. Just almost every ball was perfect doing something, you know, got them got them coming in and then that one coming away uh, got him. So I think not much to talk about there from Smith's point of view. A good innings. Yeah. Uh, and we're not going to spend any more time on that. I can see Pearson's facial expressions. Um, you mentioned Broad. He picks up five wickets in the innings, five for 101 off 29 overs, second five for an Australian, 19th in test. We talked a lot about, and he talked openly about his frustration about being played. I think um, he very much uh, proved that he should have been in the side when the series was in the balance uh, with this innings. But my question for you is, Pearson, uh, surely it puts a damper on the performance when the last ball um, gets hit for six by number 10 over mid-wicket and pushes him over 100 for the innings. Um, and I think that typifies, to a larger extent, England's bowling. They've been very good. They're knocking over, you know, Smith, Lubbershire, and they had wickets in flurries at points during this innings. But guess what they did? They couldn't contain the tail. Cummins, 24, Stark, not out 34, and then even Lyon at the end with 16. Uh, and for all the positives and accolades you can put on Broad and Anderson and even Robinson in previous tests... Um, you know, once you've got them five down, you've still got five wickets to get and they really haven't been able to put it all together um, uh, on too many occasions so far this series. Yeah, also we've allowed Australia to score far too many runs from when they were five or six down. You look in Brisbane, they were six for 238, if my memory is correct, and they hit 420-something. They were five for 298 in Adelaide and they declared on 470-odd. And again, from this test, I couldn't give you the exact figure, but they were sub 300 when they lost their sixth wicket. We've allowed their tail to get away from us far too often. Cummins and Stark batted well, particularly Stark. He's actually been very impressive as a tail ender this series. But I think we need to work on getting those tail enders out better. I think we bowl well at times, but we do, we have a propensity to let games drift. And I think we've done that a lot to the tail, particularly when Mitchell Stark has been there. I think if you look at someone like Carey, he's now been in multiple partnerships of 80-odd. He's only passed 20 once in his test career. So clearly there is some problem England have of letting these games drift away from them when they don't need to. I thought we bowled well in patches. I thought our main three were very good of Woodbroad Anderson. I thought beyond that, we offered appreciably little. The Stokes injury didn't help, of course. But when you're relying, when you have Kwaja on 99, you're bowling Dawid Milan, you're hardly showing any great impetus here. So I think if we can contain the tail and at least remove that weak link in our bowling, we'll be a better attack in future series. And of course, missing the key players, um, Archer among them. Uh, before I get to you, Teddy, everyone talks about, you know, that great stat that Mitchell Stark averages more in test cricket than Virat Kohli since 2019. Uh, what's more pressing, uh, if I was an England fan, would be the fact that Stark, with what's at 151 runs, at, I mean, the average is out the window because he's a tail ender, but has more runs than everyone for England apart from uh, Root and Milan. I mean, Kawaja has outscored all the English batsmen. Yeah, exactly. And he's only played <laughs> one innings. Um, that's a pretty, pretty damning stat. Um <laughs> an indictment really on England's batting performance. Um, Teddy, your thoughts on that and Stark, and here's my query. 
does he ever get promoted to eight or is it kind of the Cummins is the captain now? So he's keeping that eight spot. Well, I'm a, a big Stark fan. I think he, he definitely should. But uh, just on England, I think this is another humiliating and debilitating day for them today. You know, they bowled, they bowled pretty well. They, they had a few different plans. Um, Leach changed things up a little bit. Anderson tried a few different things to Smith. They bowled well, um, but then what the, the big takeaways from the day is you had a backup batsman in Kawaja making a century. Um, and then just every time th uh, that England would slightly start to get on top, Australia would be able to steady the ship for a little bit. Uh, we saw there after Smith and Green getting out, I thought a very good partnership that Pearson um, spoke about a bit there uh, with Kerry and um, Kawaja, they, they just kind of hunkered down for a bit, ensured that they didn't lose their wicket. Um, and that, that allowed us to really uh, score a lot in the, in the last few overs of the match because we, we kept them out there for a longer period of time, able to score off of Leach and even off of Broad off the end. So I think it just shows the ability of Australia to just adapt to the circumstances um, and never let England get any sort of control in the match by, by changing the pace they bat at um, and just everybody chipping in and doing their job. And that's why I said a few podcasts ago that this is really, it seems to me better than any any series that we've had uh, probably, you know, in all the time that I've been watching cricket because of just the depth of our performances um, and the ability to, in no matter what the circumstances are, to, to get back on top and to keep pushing the lead further and further in. Yeah, personally, I think 2013-14 gets the crown for me because we weren't expected to do massively well. I mean, coming into 20, that was the, when we had the 10 Ashes series across nine months. Everyone was saying England 10-0, they win 3-0 in England and then Australia come out and unleash Mitchell Johnson who had, a, a, I guess, a, a checkered uh, pass in test cricket. But, um, you know, more on that another time, Pearson and I can, as he says, wax lyrical about the history <laughs> of cricket uh, for hours at another point. Teddy mentions a uh, demoralising day uh, Pierce, no matter the positives, you know, they can't keep it up consistently and they can't bowl Australia out, um, you know, for the kind, the kind of amounts that they're making. Great stat here. Uh, the declaration Australian nine down ensures England's run of not taking 20 wickets in a way at Ashes Test, which is what you need to win, obviously, extends to nine full matches. Um, so it's close to two series. That's the last four um, of the 2017-18 series. And now the uh, all five in this series where they haven't been able to take 20 wickets. Um, so a lot of talk about the four, sorry, five and four. Yeah, five in the last series, four. I keep thinking Sydney's the last, but of course not anymore. Um, so that yeah, shows that despite all the criticism of the batting, Pearson, still not going to win a test match uh, if you don't take uh, 20 wickets. Well, I think, I, I honestly, I maintain our bowling is not a massive issue. I think the one thing we lack is this world-class spinner, is if we had a Nathan Lyon, we could take 20 wickets far more easily. When we're working out the Jack Leach camp bowl to left-handers, the extent we have to lean on Root and Milan to bowl a cumulative 15 or so overs in a day, you're not going to put sufficient pressure on. But I do maintain, particularly if we had a spinner, which hopefully we can develop, Matt Parkinson or similar, and if we had an archer, we could get 20 wickets. The big thing about getting 20 wickets is scoreboard pressure, though. And when you know as an opposition that England will only score 
150, 200 each innings, you can bat with a lot more freedom. If you look, one of our best performances in a long time was when we beat India in Chennai in February of last year. Mentioned for about the 13th time on this podcast. (laughs) Yes, exactly. But what's notable about that innings is we hit 570 or so. And we were able to take wickets because India felt under pressure to score a total of note. At no point in this series have Australia ever been pressured into scoring runs. They've been able to come out like Kawaji did today and bat with a lot more freedom than we should allow them. So I think, yes, the bowlers could do with some work, but there's only so much you can critique Anderson, Broad, Robinson, Wood. I think the primary critique has to go on to the rest of the bowlers, including Chris Wokes, the only sort of frontline seamer that I don't think has done his job, and then Leach, Root, etc., haven't given enough pressure and support and the batsmen have never given us enough runs to bowl at. And I think that's the problem. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I, I would agree with that. And I, I was about to ask, and I'll ask Ted now, all this kind of talk being made of it, we have to play Leach. We don't want to be leading on Milan and Root again, as we saw in earlier tests. And they bowled 11 overs between them. Um, so what's the point of playing a front leg spinner? Because you say you don't want to be relying on these other two and then bowling them for 11 overs. So clearly you don't have any trust in him. So why play an extra batsman for all we care? You're just wasting a spot. Oh. Surely. Obviously, I know this is Ted's question, but I will. The, the, yeah, that's what I was about. That's the only but, thing I was yes. going to bring up. I realized if that. wasn't injured, they would have bowled less. But I'll, I'll leave yeah. it at that. So Ted but he's still be. This is and a pretty think... cool series. Go on, Teddy. <laughs> Root, Root is a pretty underrated bowler as well. I think, you know, to the left-hander yeah. especially, he is quite good. But, um, yeah, yeah, no, there's, there's yeah exactly. Problems. Yeah, there's big problems with Leach. Um, I saw throughout the day, his fields have just been perplexing for the whole series, really, just how deep he's putting, how leg side um, they are. Uh, and, you know, there was always the question of whether this was coming from Root um, and the coaches or whether this was Leach. Um, and it seemed to be just going by the stump mic and just what was going on. It seemed to be that this is Leach saying that, you know, he feels he needs this sort of protection. Um, and if, if you're coming in with that mindset as a spinner that, you know, you're not confident that you're going to be able to challenge the batsman, that you need all this protection uh, to be able to, you know, keep the runs down and actually stay in the game. Well, you know, you can't really be playing as a spinner in a test match when that's going on. So, yeah, yeah, Leach has been a big problem, but I think from the bowling standpoint, it just kind of hammers home how disappointing this series has been for England because players such as Broad and Anderson have perhaps had the best series that they've ever had in Australia. Um, I was reading that Broad uh, has induced 24% of his, his balls being false shots, uh, which is the highest of all the tours that he's had of Australia. Uh, we've seen some great spells by Anderson also. So they've actually been very good. But still, um, largely because of the batting and some field placements as well, I think, and just even when they get wickets, they don't seem to be able to get them in clumps. And that's something to do with our batting, but also to do with the inability to, you know, put aggressive attacking fields um, and put pressure on the incoming batsmen. So there's a few things there, but really uh, they, you know, it's just a disappointing fact because they've been pretty good, a lot of their bowlers. Yeah, absolutely. And you look back at 2010-11, Pearson knows more about that. The Spooks than me. They had that great batting lineup, Trot and, and Cook and so on. You imagine you pair that with uh, with Anderson and Broad, who haven't always been the best in Australia. What an attack that could have made. Obviously, they still were the best side in, in the world at that time. Um, 
but yeah, absolutely right. This is clearly uh, from at least what I've seen the most dominant. Wouldn't say dominant because they're not winning tests, but certainly the best they have bowled uh, in Australian conditions. Of the, uh, I think it was five wickets that fall today for for Broad, and then uh, uh, Joe Root did pick up one. Um, Pearson, your thoughts on all that? Yeah, I think Anderson ten eleven was his best ever Ashes series home or away. But I think as a unit of three frontline bowlers, so Broad, Anderson, Wood. I'll count them, and Robinson, I'll add into that. I think they've had the best tour of an England seam arsenal since that 10-11 series. I think, again, as we keep going back to, if we didn't have the issue of Jack Leach not taking wickets and being milked for runs and resulting to part-timers being used too often, and if we had a slightly more influential Stokes that wasn't averaging 70-odd with the ball, then I think we could have caused a lot more damage than we did. I think we still need to work on the frontline bowlers. <laughs> I think it's clearly not a finished product. I don't think we'll see Anderson or Broad back next time. So <laughs> we've got to hope Archer, Stone, Mahmood are all fit and firing with requisite experience to play in the next series over here. <laughs> but there's not really much more to say. It's a bit of a broken record at this point. Frontline good, backups bad. Yeah, it's interesting. When I think of the 2010-11, I think of the boxing date. I think it knocked Australia for 98. I think it wasn't that first innings. Yeah. And I think yeah, of Chris yeah. Tremlett, who I've just checked, got four. But Jimmy Anderson got four in that innings as well. Um, yes. <laughs> well, Anderson took 24 wickets at 26 that series, the highest of any wicket taker in the series from either side. So he, that, he was very good. And he was threat. You look at his opening spell when we got you to three for two in Adelaide on in the second test of that series we are he is capable no, that's just quite enough positivity support. about this from england this day i mean let's <laughs> let's look at the present and what's going on now uh, and, and one last stat before i turn to um <laughs> mr cough over here uh and ted on their thoughts <laughs> which on, one we're both <laughs> well pearson's got all you're managing to keep yours rather discreet um before we turn to you on your predictions uh for the third day i know you like uh, statistics uh, it was Steve Smith's 144th test innings by a player with their career average still over 60. So it's you two probably already know this because your decision was he's still over 60 through 144 innings. Second highest, Ricky Ponting, um, you know, uh, famous for having a high average so late in his in career. Um, 178th test match innings, uh, scored 142 and still averaged over 60. <laughs> to be honest, I'm surprised someone like Sachin Tendulkar does not come up um, in that discussion, or even a Brian Lara, but um, it's different. Whereas someone like Michael Hussey, who averaged like 70 in his first, you know, 10, 15 tests, and then comes down to earth, these two, um, number one and two all time for maintaining high, uh, high averages across the ball, which is obviously very difficult in test match cricket. Don't give me that face, Pearson. Anyway, okay, we'll start with you, Teddy. Tomorrow, I haven't had a chance to look at the weather forecast, but I'll presume rain is forecast as always in Sydney. What is your prediction uh, for tomorrow? Well, yeah, depending on the rain, uh, I think if we get something approximating a full day's play, England will be bowled out. Um, the pitch is only getting more difficult to batter, I think. Uh, hopefully Nathan Lyon should have a good impact as the pitch dries out a bit, a few more cracks there also. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, yeah, uh, I would probably hope that there would be a follow-on tomorrow, but uh, I know we don't seem to be huge fans of, of follow-ons, so... I'm not holding out too much. Go for it there. now. Series is over. We want to see one. Yeah, I know. Just give us some excitement. But uh, yeah, who knows? I'm not predicting much from the English, though. That's for sure. And Pearson, who can step up? Will it be Hamid? Uh, 
I don't think it'll be crawl. It'll rule that out. That'll come back to bite me. Does Root finally get that ton? What are you expecting from this innings? Well, I think I think Crawley is a lot more likely than Hamid is. I think honestly, it's the if there's new anyone haircut. Inside, I got faith. All I will say is the new haircut has shown the potential of what an actual good haircut could have done. Is he's left it far too long still. But my issue at Hamid bats too defensively. But on a positive note, I thought the five overs we had tonight. Well, the best five overs our openers have gone through for pretty much the entire series. This is already our second highest opening partnership of the entire series. I mean, the yeah, only one higher than second innings at Buys being the top scorer. <laughs> of course, but that's scores. fine. Extras, are, extras can top score as much as they want. We're not losing wickets. Well, yet. It's well, you did lose size. one. It was, oh, you basically lose one. Yeah, it was, just, it was a technicality. Nah, he was he was done for pace by the fact he released it a foot forward of the line. That's what I oh, reckon. Sure. Maybe more of a millimeter, but I'll take it. But no, I think we'll actually avoid the follow-on. I think not by much. Admitted, we only need what 217, I think it is, to avoid the follow-on. I think we'll hit 235-ish on this pitch. I think Root will do his stock standard 50, 60 odd. I don't think we'll see a root ton, at least this innings. Possibly not this series, sadly, despite having looked so good. I think the openers will fail as always. I think one of, I think Stokes is eventually in for runs. I thought he looked good in Melbourne. I think he will be, I think him, Root, Milan, as per usual, will be the three players key to us avoiding that follow-on mark. Not that you'd have enforced it anyway. But I reckon Stumps at... The, the morning's supposed to be rained out. The afternoon is pretty clear. So I'm going... 210 for eight at stumps. <laughs> right, yeah, a few points on that. Number one, the man giving haircutting advice. I think Teddy might have to send out that picture last <laughs> year of the uh, prison short buzz cut he got on, on social media. It looked like Andrew Flintoff in the 2005 Ashes series. It also well, that's like that's probably what you told the hairdresser team or whoever was doing it, but it certainly didn't come out this way. He looked like about to, I don't know, break into a van. Um, <laughs> Secondary, we didn't talk about the uh, Crawley dismissal slash non-dismissal, uh, typical of what we've seen from the Bastion, obviously Stark bowling left arm, kind of a cross angle, not sure whether to leave or play at one in that kind of hallway of hesitation, as Damien Fleming would say. Uh, we can go into it in more depth tomorrow because I'm convinced at least one of the 10 wickets will fall that way, uh, a batsman not knowing whether to leave yeah. or play at for sure. a ball. <clears throat> Otherwise, my prediction, I'm also a little bit pessimistic, but... Not to the extent, just I'm saying, I agree with Pearson. I think they probably will avoid the follow-on. Uh, we've got to see runs from someone. Um, it's got to happen eventually for England, doesn't it? And I think it was 45, your combined opening run partnerships entering this test. Australia had 51 runs in the first innings alone. Okie dokie, gentlemen. Thank you for being with me. Thank you. Cheers. And Let's we'll move the test tomorrow. away from Sydney. That's what I'll say. No more tests ever in Sydney. Yeah, I totally agree. Okay, we'll see you all tomorrow for the day three recap. Bye for now.